A poem is a small machine made of words. William Carlos Williams. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, exploring the poetry scene of Central Canada and beyond with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Small Machine Talks. My name is A.M. Kozak, and I'm here with my co-host, Amanda Earl. And we're also here with a very special guest. We have Claire Farley here, who we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, today. Um, And we have some very, very um, interesting questions, I think, not biased, um, to ask Claire. So uh, how are you doing, Claire? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Amanda, how are you? Good, good. I mean, it's 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 a cold uh, Sunday in Ottawa. Very cold. And I was out uh, doing grocery shopping earlier and uh, going one way, it was wonderful. And I didn't understand why people looked upset and then coming home and realized yeah the wind is quite cold so that yeah, was that long, was my morning the longer you're out there the the more you realize why people are looking kind of uh, miserable today oh yeah but here we are not miserable no and uh we are going to uh start chatting with with claire um i think maybe a good time to good place to start would be reading her bio all right would you uh do us the honors amanda all right i will read this bio (laughs) claire farley is a doctoral student at the university of ottawa and co-editor of cantheus a feminist literary journal her poetry has appeared in the uh, in the puritan ottawater parenthetical bywords.ca among other places she's the 2016 recipient of arc poetry magazine's diana brevner prize welcome claire hi 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 Okay, um, so we have a, a handful of questions for you, obviously, Claire. And uh, for the first one, I think makes a lot of sense to start with. Uh, what inspired you to start Cantheus, which is a magazine exclusive to women and non-binary individuals? Yeah, um, Kira Nickel, my um, Cantheus partner in crime, and I uh, often get asked this question, mm-hmm. obviously. And I find it a bit difficult to answer because it felt like a really natural decision, like especially considering our mandate took us about, you know, like a minute and a half. I don't even know if I remember us having any sort of discussion about wanting to do something that was particularly um, feminist oriented. It just felt like what we were going to do um, for us. Um, as you know, like we just did that um, Indiegogo funding campaign, but the first two issues uh, were funded totally out of pocket from, from by Kira and I. Mm-hmm. So expensive. yeah, so Very but expensive. Yeah, yeah, it can be. And so for us, spending our time and our money on this, we wanted to do something that we felt was needed in literary communities everywhere, which is more space and voices for um, like both women and queer writers. And I guess the mandate is more about feminism than anything else. I think people, I don't want to say people, um, in the media, I see a lot of what gets put under feminism as kind of still second wave feminism. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for example, um, Andy Zeisler from uh, Bitch Media, what she calls empowertizing, which Mm. is the kind of like liberatory feminist discourse that gets um, used for marketing, etc. But I think that there's also feminism that is a lot more expansive and that um, includes 
um, queer histories and intersectional feminism, for example. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's yeah. that's exactly the Which word I would use. It all before. Yeah. Yeah. You said uh, media. We get this infl- uh, this idea of that for media. What do you about? Do you think is it different in the literary arts community or the arts community in general as opposed to uh, maybe uh, more mainstream um, um, descriptions of feminism? Hmm. The Fox uh, News version would probably not be the right. best. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. I think um, in the literary arts community, I would say that we still have an issue treating all ideas and voices with dignity. I think that like mm-hmm. when, uh, you know, there are more and more spaces that are exclusive to women and exclusive to genderqueer writers. And I think that that's a great place to start. Hopefully the the goal of these publications is to move outward um, for those to be that sort of equity to happen in all literary right. publishing. Um, so I would say um, it's not only about, you know, making those spaces available, but sort of treating the ideas in those spaces with with dignity that I think is sometimes missing. Um, it's hard to say because the literary arts community is a great community mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways. So. There's good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some things, some things have, have been less good of late, but uh, in the in the oh, monolithic yeah. expression of canlit, which I don't, I don't know. I I always find it funny when like the media now the media is talking about canlit as this one community, mm-hmm. and I've never I've never even related to that mm-hmm. uh, in, in any way. Like, yeah. but I'm not sure I like I'm not sure I express that that well. I yeah. hope you know what I mean. That no, you, you know more um, like as a woman writing, sometimes I feel like certain subjects are not treated with yeah. as much um, levity as I wish they were coming from me or coming from a, a different voice. So, yeah. Well, that's okay. opening up a space for, for those kinds of discussions that might not be as um, happening as much or taken as seriously in other main, more mainstream pockets of society or forms of literary publishing. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, you also said something about, you were talking about the origin of um, of the journal, which I wanted to bring back to really quickly. Oh, yeah, I didn't um, touch on that. Sorry. So you, you guys started the, you had, you said the mandate kind of came naturally, but what about that initial inclination to work together to create something? Like, yeah. where did that spark? Where did that initiate? Well, Kira and I um, had just finished our master's at Ryerson. I knew there was Ryerson. I was trying to remember about Ryerson. Yeah. I would say, wasn't there a Ryerson connection? But yeah, I thought, what for if sure. I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? <laughs> and I had just finished um, working as the editorial assistant on the Whitewall Review, which oh, was okay. a really awesome experience. I got to, um, you know, lay out work by Paul Dutton, posthumous work by Ed Dorn and stuff like that. It was wow. really exciting experience for me i was in that that a couple times actually it's such a great publication yeah Yeah. Yeah. and uh so kira had also worked on the white wall review and uh just in that program there were a really fantastic group of super intelligent women and we all kept in touch after and had this awesome community but we had kind of gone back to real life i was working at a a publishing not-for-profit and kira was working at the ryerson digital media zone and i was just in toronto we were having wine um (laughs) i knew there was alcohol involved always every literary endeavor except except for maybe the podcast i don't think we were drinking when we we decided to i think it was surprising oh yeah Yeah. that can happen to you yeah um so yeah after a couple glasses of wine we were thinking i don't know that we just wanted to do i don't want to say like a passion project because that sounds 
I don't know something. Passion's important. I like. I, I think it. I think. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've never heard the term before. A passion project. I like that. I think everything. I, I aspire to have everything I do be a passion project. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's perfect then. Yeah. We just <laughs> wanted to do something, and mm. we were like, let's do a literary journal. Like we know how to do that. We've done right. it before, and uh, we had a lot of questions about whether we were qualified to do it. And then we were like, you know what? Just screw it because yeah. that's also what. That like, can paralyze. That can paralyze you if you think, "Oh, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, we're, you know, I don't have the mm-hmm. credentials or experience to do something." Yeah, and for us, we just wanted a way to um, keep that kind of community that we had going and meet other women and meet other writers who are, you know, we can. Mm. It, it's hard. I, as I'm sure you guys can relate. Sometimes it's hard to get out there and meet people in a new community and. Um, I had just moved back to Ottawa. I was a little shy about going to poetry readings and stuff. I was like, okay, well, let's just do something together that's going to be exciting, Uh is going to keep us in touch, and is going to force us to get out of our living rooms and go meet people and talk to people. And you start a community, too, when you start a magazine as well. you You suddenly have a whole group of people that you've published, and you have, you know, the art and all kinds of and, and the people that you're working with so it's it's it is its own little community so yeah, it's so the it was best. Like a continuation of ideas in that relationship with those people and also like community development as you, as you're as you're saying and i think also as you touched on there was that that initial idea to want to create a project um and to have some community building but also a project that had things that you believed in as well, like a space you wanted to open up, open up as well. I should have been taking notes on that response because that was <laughs> <laughs> that summed up everything perfectly. Yeah. Uh, cool. Um, so what have been some of your favorite, you've touched on this a little bit already, but what have been some of your favorite parts about this, uh, this project? Oh, there's very little that I don't like about it. So um, copy editing, you like copy editing? I actually love copy editing. <laughs> okay. Kira hates copy editing, and I actually I don't like doing the layout, but she just does the layout, and I just do the copy editing. Yeah. I love I, doing I hate copy. the layout. I I, I know with mm. with Charles and I and everything we do, he does all the layout. I sort of I sort of push things into like InDesign, and it's a hot mess. And then he he kind of he makes it beautiful. But yeah, I ugh, layout. So yeah, difficult. it's not fun, especially when you start to realize how idiosyncratic poets are in their mm-hmm. layout. <laughs> but that's why I love copy editing. I love yeah. getting like going back and sort of making sure that we got all the spacing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I love doing that. Um, I don't know. My favorite part. Actually, you know what my favorite part is, is at the launches when I can sit back after we've introduced the mm-hmm. readers mm-hmm. and I can have glass of wine and listen. listen and enjoy it. Like I'm thinking of, um, we did our Ottawa launch at uh, one of my friends' uh, tattoo shops on really? just off Parkdale. And mm-hmm. it was a really fun night. And I there was heard a great lot things of people, about that reading. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah, And there were a lot of people there, friends of mine who came out to support me who are this is not the kind of event that they would usually right. go out to. So that's great. And there was something like, so Sandra Ridley was reading. Yeah. And there was this silence that was like, you know, Home when shiver. a quiet is so full of energy, mm-hmm. and it, but it's so silent. Mm-hmm. And watching those people who had never really engaged with poetry before in any way, just totally captivated by Sandra's reading, which of course yeah, you would be. She's mesmerized. such an amazing reader. Yeah. yeah and it's... I, that's my favorite part. Yeah. Also, that's a very interesting space. I, I love it when there's non non traditional yeah. spaces are are used for no. for arts. For Get out of the po- uh, from behind the podium, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Like nice that's really do. cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, 
You want me to? It, well, I can keep. There's like yeah, we have a series of questions in this one question. You know, um, it's like it's like that. It's House of Commons question period. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's the yeah? So what's the editorial process like working with with Kira? And the other um, the other editors involved. Yeah, uh, well, Kira's a total dream. I couldn't okay. imagine. <laughs> she's just the most patient person. Mm. I am super bossy, Excellent. and uh, she <laughs> teaches me to be. compromise. Yeah, I I can get really caught up in the details. Like, uh, I don't. We like need to, to have <laughs> this kind of quotation mark because yeah. Anyways, I can get caught up in the details, but she teaches me to compromise. But. Um, the broader editorial process, we have an editorial board, um, and sitting on that board is uh, Teresa Yang and Puneet Dutt, two Toronto-based poets. And so they sort through all the submissions with us, um, which I like because one of the things about Cantheus that was really made me uncomfortable to begin with was yeah. this idea of like a kind of literary authority and yeah, sort of parsing yeah. through people's work and deciding mm -hmm. what should be published I've I feel very uncomfortable with yeah, that it's I I feel that way too like it's like it's kind of like gatekeeping in a way right I don't mm -hmm. I don't like that I don't like that it doesn't sit well with me and sometimes people treat you a little bit as if you're you have more importance than you feel that you do yeah. so it's it's a weird yeah I don't like that feeling either yeah and especially like I don't it's even have that much publishing exactly history yeah. myself so um I I really like that they've come on for this third issue because after doing two issues, Kira and I just felt that, um, I don't know, it felt inappropriate that we were doing this, just the two of us. I don't think it was. And so, good. yeah. Do you think that bringing more people changes that dynamic of, uh, let's say gatekeeping or the judging? Yeah. Um, Maris. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Yeah. Because we, there were poems for the third issue, for example, that I would have, probably included where it's just me but it's it was important to take what Teresa and Puneet felt yeah. into consideration and in fact we usually do it like super democratically based mm -hmm. on like how many of us gave that you know the you know if there's a poem that came in and we all love it or then it's definitely going in but if it's yeah, yeah. And, and also I have to say that um like both Puneet and Teresa are women of color who have more, yeah, you know, who can who can look at um, submissions in a way that Kira and I, as two white women, yeah. can't look at submissions. So that's really important. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's I sense. think bringing more people in in any sort of um, endeavor like that is well, generally a good thing. But as long as you're all on the same page, as far as like you have to be, this is what we want to do as a journal, that kind of thing, right? Because if you're working with people who like, obviously just some people you can work with and some people who can't. So when you have more yeah. cooks in the kitchen, obviously oh, yeah. there can be uh, difficulties. Well, I guess the idea there was, you know, we, Kira and I love both Teresa's poetry and Puneet's right. poetry. Mm -hmm. These right. are two people that we really respect. Mm -hmm. And so we wouldn't put someone, we wouldn't ask someone to join no, the editorial we, board if we didn't, yeah. right. if, you know, we, we respect their judgment, whatever that judgment is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know Puneet's work at all, but I, I love Teresa's work. I really do. And she yeah. was here in Ottawa for a while in school. Yeah, yeah she was. Puneet really just put out a, um, a chapbook recently, um, PTSD uh, South Beach, oh. which I haven't actually read yet. But Did you I remember really who published it? Or can you oh, my gosh. We'll, uh, we'll fact check later. Yeah, right. yeah, that's a good idea. We'll put Sorry. up a link. Sorry, Puneet. Amanda will take care of that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I do that too. I like the, I'm the one who gets into the nitty gritty details too. Yeah, I, yeah. I can actually like basically spin on my own like round and Around with details and so yeah someone uh, has to stop me. a couple more questions about cantheus before we'll move on to other other things um 
So this is something I'm particularly interested. Why in why print instead of digital? Especially since you mentioned the, there's a large funding component to it, right? To, it's expensive to print. So why did you go with the print route instead of digital? Is it because there's particular design elements you're interested in, or other reasons? Well, yeah, it's not super financially responsible that we have to admit, but uh, caution to the wind, start a print journal. <laughs> but there's just something about like seeing a poem on a piece of paper. It's just so beautiful and so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, online stuff I love. There's so many online journals that I love so much, but um, there's something that make that gives sort of an importance to people's work. And when you want to sort of yeah, honor someone's work or treat it in a way that um, celebrates it. It felt like print was an important thing to do. Because uh, it makes it more permanent? Yeah, I was just going to say. I don't even know if it's the permanence. Like, I think it's, it's like the beauty. Well, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, we, we all love books and paper. And I mean, the decisions you had to make, the design decisions that you had to make for a print journal were, are very different from the design decisions you have to make for right. an online mm -hmm. stuff. And you have online content as well. You have a blog with yeah. articles and stuff. Yeah. So you've kind of, you, you seem like you're doing a bit of both, like a lot of magazines are these days. Yeah, maybe. we are doing a bit of both. But yeah. actually, I hadn't really thought too much about that question, Erin. But now that I think about it, maybe it was also that like we, Kira and I had um, experience doing print publishing. Right. Yeah, like well. doing print lit journal stuff so mm -hmm. maybe um we were interested in that aspect of it mm -hmm. starting out too i'm more interested in putting stuff online now than i was when we first started yeah that's one one goal that we have um and i do like i like the idea of using visual art in the book too in terms mm -hmm. of in terms of design in a way that um isn't just like to break up space on the page but uh contextualizes that yeah. visual art and mm -hmm. and we have a chance to speak with visual artists and bringing those together in one um one print publication i like yeah, yeah. no it's it's beautiful and it's a, it's a beautifully designed magazine too the other mm -hmm. thing too is when you when you have something in print you can you can actually um i mean i'm sort of i i'm a proponent of both but you you can actually go to like a a small press fair and sell copies like it's hard to sell online to sell online literary magazines and right. it's hard to do that but of course you don't need as much I mean, money and stuff like that necessarily to produce but there is something nice about being able to have a tactile thing to show and, and to sell i think yeah. when you and just to have have and poets i think we all like to be in both but i i i, I do like to be i do feel I, I i mean as someone who runs online literary magazines i still do have that bias in mm -hmm. favor of print i still mm -hmm. don't feel like a real writer unless i'm in print so like i don't that's that's maybe that will change with a new generation of people but do you feel that way aaron because i don't know i still love the print do you feel do you want me to get into my diatribe sure yeah <laughs> um I don't know. I like I like a lot of aspects of of print um, for a lot of the reasons you guys have both mentioned. Yeah. Um, the the problems, quote unquote, I have with it have a lot more to do with my political beliefs about like materialism and capitalism, that yeah. kind of thing and accessibility, um, because I find that and also just um, in terms of accessibility, just like bringing the work to a larger range of audience. 
because I find if you have a print run that's, you know, um, let's say, we'll say 100, yeah. um, and it's it costs money, there's a lot of people that won't be able to access that that object. Either they're not going to be able to access it because they're not in that physical space to obtain it, right. or they don't have the money, or aren't really that interested, or know they're interested in poetry. So there's like, there's a, I think there's a barrier with print for some populations. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's just um, like there is for being online, not everyone is online. So there's... Right. The, Although that is, yes. It's and less I'm coming and less. from I'm coming yeah. from a millennial perspective yeah, here yeah. too, right? Um, on the other hand, um, there's a lot of people who think that, um, and I think rightfully so, that artists deserve to get compensated for their work. Yeah, and, of course. Um, yeah. So, and if you're running a print publication, that makes it a lot easier for that that sale yeah. to to go through and for there to be an exchange of money for people to get reimbursed for yeah. their time and energy they put into something. Yeah. So I don't think it's necessarily one or the other. Yeah, I yeah. think um, a combination can be can be of what you guys are doing uh, with having some online content and mm -hmm. some print content can be really, mm -hmm. really good. Actually, everything is have... on everything's online now. Oh, so yeah. we after so everything from the second issue and they actually the only thing that isn't is um sandra let us publish um pieces of sylvia before um, yeah. it went to print with book thug right so, yeah so um we weren't able to publish that online obviously mm -hmm. but um any almost all of the content within like two months of the print publication oh, it that. all goes online oh, that's great cool. yeah that's, That's really good. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say about one nice thing about digital publications too is you can you can have a lot of flexibility. Like you can have video, you can have yeah. um, you can have links and stuff like that. So there's a lot. I mean, I think mm. there's there's an advantage yeah. to both. But I, I I like the way a lot of contemporary literary magazines are starting to have a lot of online content and then sometimes print as well. Well, now the Puritan is is pure online, but it started out as a, as a little magazine yeah. here in Ottawa. So mm. you know it's, yeah. but it's and if you can get funding, like I think uh, one thing about uh, I'm not sure how it works for digital magazines. I, well, I mean, the Puritan gets funding and they're just mm -hmm. online. So maybe... Um, oh, there must be. Yeah, there, there oh, yeah. must be funding. Yeah. Uh, I haven't looked into it because we were just... Uh, for Bywords, it's just a local thing. But um, My yeah, hope would be that like the lit journal, the, mm -hmm. the, the physical journal is a, is a beautiful art object, yeah, I guess. Mm -hmm. And that everything should be available online. I think you're totally right about that. Yeah. But I like the idea of making an art object that's it and when yeah. you get older you'll also like having access to online because you can make the fonts bigger it's nice that, that's uh, <laughs> we got a lot of complaints about the font actually not yeah. a magnifying glass or... <laughs> i have a magnifying <laughs> app on my phone and my 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 twitter account is set to font 20 i'll tell you it's great <laughs> okay better push on we are yeah. getting a bit digressive well that's wanna... our nature yeah it is our nature so um, um yeah, you want to ask the next question, Amanda? This is number two. We're at yeah. now notice. <laughs> oh, we're moving along. Okay, so how does your work as a publisher, workshop runner, literary studies person impact your writing? Hmm. Uh, or does it? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I think, if anything, it impacts my my po my poetry writing. I guess that's the yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Um, Primarily. Yeah, I would say it, could be anything. it, it affects yeah. it in that it um, makes me put my own writing on the back burner, uh -huh. um, which is a bit frustrating sometimes. Um, actually, sometimes I think that I do these other projects to delay mm -hmm. working on my own writing because I find that a bit daunting. Yep, here you <laughs> So, yeah, that's part of it. Um, I, f I do feel like most at home in an academic setting, though. Mm -hmm. And um, I love research. I love, like, puzzling through difficult texts. I like debating in seminars. Like I like 
I, I have to say that's where I feel most comfortable. I'm still sort of starting to feel more comfortable with my own writing and with the, this publishing thing. So um, the academic stuff is definitely, yeah, I guess probably number one for me. But mm. I don't know that like more and more I'm starting to think that those don't have to be that separate, separate you, know, you know, like I, yeah. I love re really theoretical poetry. Like I mm -hmm. think of Aaron Murray and Lisa Robertson. Yeah, yeah. Like those yeah. are my faves. Yeah. And it's because um, they're thinking through like very theoretical conceptual yeah. ideas that um, are the same as what I'm reading in articles. So I don't think it's that different. Um, but yeah, Lisa Robertson's my favorite. Yeah. yeah, I think she's mine as well. Yeah. Um, Honestly, if it un impacts my writing, maybe it's positively at the moment, it feels kind of negative because yeah, I, time. Yeah, yeah, I worry that I make my poetry too didactic or too abstract, or I worry even in terms of publishing that when I submit um, poetry to other journals um, that I don't, you know, and it's not that strong, I'm still starting out that that affects um uh, Cantheus negatively like or oh, yeah that's an interesting so point I just have to let go oh of hell I never things. thought about that with bywords oh no <laughs> bywords oh no yeah my wretched poetry being exposed in so so how do you it's and this, this leads very well into the follow-up how yeah. well do you compartmentalize or how not well how well how do you compartmentalize your various roles all relatively related to this act of of literature or writing or creativity even uh I'm not sure I do compartmentalize them. I kind of see them all as the same the thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do just now I had a really heavy first semester um, when I just I just started my PhD. So I kind of had to let everything else fall. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's uh, it's whatever I need to address at any given moment, I guess, gets right. precedent. But actually, I was having a conversation with um, one of my professors recently, and he was making a joke about this kind of canlit tradition of the writer critic that does both mm -hmm. and does neither very well. And <laughs> maybe that's where I'm headed. But I also think that I'm not sure that's really that true. Like, like think of someone like Aaron Wunker or Larissa mm -hmm. Lai. Mm -hmm. They are killing it there's like they're so badass and that's kind of like that's the that's kind of the dream you know they that where there it doesn't seem to me that there's that much difference between the diff their different hats i think i can do it all i don't think th i don't think there is i just think there's whenever say you're in school you're reading academic things you're reading mm -hmm. theoretical things that's going to very naturally impact your language and the things that you're writing about. Oh, yeah. It's just like uh, when I started going in last year when I started my degree in social work, yeah, I started naturally different. writing more about political-oriented yeah. things and, and things like that, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just whatever we're interacting with in our lives is going to naturally impact what we're doing with our lives, whether it be writing, facilitating, organizing a magazine, all that kind of stuff. It's all... Yeah. It's all fluid, right? Yeah, I Absolutely. also think poetic engagement with academics is very uh, academic subjects is very uh, interesting. Like I, I really love Lisa Robertson's mm -hmm. uh, engagements with. I mean, I haven't read a lot of French structuralist theory for a few decades now, so mm -hmm. I find it interesting when she when I hear stuff like that. And I was just well, maybe I talk about it in uh, um, the 
previous episode, <laughs> but uh, um, Oana Avasilishoi, I don't know if I'm pronouncing your last name right, but she has, she, uh, um, there's a, bun- uh, a poem section of hers in the latest Touch the Donkey, and she talks about, uh, she's responding to a Derrida essay in, in poem form, right? Well, her hmm. poem form. So, you know, I think you can work with those things. And, and I think it just gives you access to more. Well, exploration, right? Yeah. So. I mean, because, I mean, our tool is language, right? So mm-hmm. all Your thought, yeah. Yeah. So when we are using this tool, there, there is so much theoretical engagement about, you know, is that tool inherently political? Mm-hmm. Um, how and, and how it works. So I think, yeah, there, it does fit together very cleanly. And also, at, to what you were saying earlier, Erin, I also worked for a while, um, just before starting my PhD, um, doing political writing okay. um, oh, as a job. So, And that also made me see language very differently yep. as well, because I was using it language. Political. It is. Yeah. I think Absolutely. it is inherently. And, it, you know, I was using yeah. language to persuade people yeah, it's propaganda yeah <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. i i saw yeah. it as propaganda for things that i you know for a, things you believe a in. form of government that i believe in right. but, yeah um yeah no that's funny and it, it, it you see how powerful language can be though when you, oh, when yeah. you see people's reactions to those sort of things too mm-hmm. yeah we only have to mention the the upcoming ogre in the house of white there and you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned that you are most at home in an academic setting. So would you say that your schooling is the most important facet of your um, engagement with literature at the moment? Yeah, I'm hoping to spend more time um, in 2017 focusing on my, I mean, creative writing for simplicity's right. sake. But um, yeah, I guess I mean I started to love literature through school. And mm. I do love literature because it's a way of thinking through complicated ideas mm. um, in a way that's accessible. It's, um, I don't know, there's so many things that I still don't have words for, I guess. Yeah. That, that doesn't change. <laughs> I'm reminded of those things when I'm thinking academically and then that'll kind of translate into poetry. But mm. I think... I don't know. It's hard. I I think that if I'm realistic, the academic stuff is like always been first for me. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that'll change with time. I don't know. Mm. It's where I'm most comfortable. It's what I've been doing longest. So, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. No. Okay. So what is this? Three. (laughs) Thank you. What are your long term goals as a publisher Mm. and as a writer? As a publisher, I kind of have no idea because mm-hmm. um, at the moment we're just trying to keep our heads above water. That's the big um, long-term <laughs> goal of most publishers. Yeah, yeah. Survival. So we made some short. We make short-term goals like we check in every week. I, what I was saying earlier about having more online content—that's mm-hmm. for sure a short-term goal. Um, we have the third issue, which is going to come out in February. That's funded via an Indiegogo campaign, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, and uh, so hopefully to get a grant in 2017 so that we can keep going yeah so i don't want to i don't want to put too much pressure with long-term right. goals on the on the publishing yeah right. makes sense and what about as a writer do you have any um i have a chat book pretty much done oh good that i'd like to hopefully get published this year we'll see if anyone um, out there is listening and wants to publish Claire's chapter, contact her. There you go. Oh, thanks, Erin. <laughs> Reminder that Angel House Press is always looking for, you know, good, good, good writing by people that they already know are really write really well. Yeah, I've <laughs> never done 
anything like that before. So it's hard to let publish a chapbook. Yeah, no. And and I still only yeah. have like a handful of publications and literary journals. Like I'm just getting started and I still feel really scared about putting work out there. So that's, that's the goal. It's, it's a good thing. I think it's, a, I personally think it's a good thing to always feel scared about putting work out when it comes, becomes sort well, of like, I don't know. It makes you reflexive yeah. to yeah. questioning what you're writing and is this something that you think needs to be out there? Yeah, and yeah, that's it. Does yeah. this need, to, that's always what I'm wondering. That yeah, I, mean, I think just, about that a lot too. Like yeah, that I'm not just, I don't know, for lack of the better, a better word, like, masturbating we're allowed to use you know words. not that there's and, anything wrong with that by no, the way no, of not course there's not. anything wrong with yeah. that well I, one of my perspectives about that though is, is the way i've kind of talked myself through that feeling of is this okay for me to put this out there is that um especially the the worry that maybe it's not strong enough work mm-hmm. sometimes i hope that Maybe something I've written, even if it's not that great, maybe someone else will say, oh, that's an interesting idea. Maybe I'll try to play with that myself. Oh, yeah. So I like the idea of p- putting it out there so others can then do what they want with it or ignore it or whatever they want. But it's somehow it feels like I feel less like it's a definitive thing than a, an intermediary to something mm-hmm. else. You so know, that's how I act. Sina Kara has a really great essay yeah. about this that's in um, really? a book of essays called Public Poetics. It's on about Canadian yeah. public poetics. Okay, and you'll have to link us to that. Yeah, okay. it's really great. <laughs> and it's uh, I'm the link girl. And she talks about how <laughs> like how terrifying it was and how mm-hmm. debilitating it was to start getting mm-hmm. things published and how yes. Anyway, she talks about it from a very like public poet, public engagement with poetry and public poetics um, from a feminist perspective. And mm. um, I read that about a year ago, and that helped me start sending things good. out for submission. So, if yeah. anyone feels this way, check out that essay. It's right. really great. I will I'll put the link. Up. I actually have the book somewhere in the other in my yeah. uh, office. I will I will hunt for it. I mm-hmm. had an interesting a short conversation yesterday with uh, Joseph Fianni who runs Facilitate in Toronto mm-hmm. about about this exact thing and I said that I, I worry sometimes about taking up too much space mm-hmm. um, and he said well that that um, theorizes that there's a, a limited space to take up yeah. but well that's a good point I still con- I'm yeah. still concerned about it mm-hmm. I think especially as someone uh, as a as a white male mm-hmm. who is who as a member of a group that has traditionally had all this space right I'm I'm really like well is it t- my time to to be performing and to be speaking, or is it my time to step back and let someone right. else uh, talk? And and I don't really know what the answer to that question is. I think it's probably contextual and situational, but it's yeah. um, I think it's worth um, it's important to be um, looking at yourself in the mirror always, always. With, what you're, with what you're producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important. I, I think that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So where are we? <laughs> question four. This is your, this is your uh, pet question, Amanda. So I'll let the, you, Oh, this uh, is mine. Okay, but it. the next... Okay. So um, what are some of the poets, artists, or who? Maybe who? Why do I say what here? Jeez, I'm bad, Amanda. Wh- who are some of the poets, artists, or other cultural figures who influenced your writing and made you want to write, if any? Uh, I was thinking about this, and I grew up um, in a family that's very musically orient- oriented. Most mm-hmm. of... A lot of my family members are professional musicians which is awesome for them and my mom was a was a musician as well and so I came to poetry as many people in Canada I'm sure did through Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell right and also John K. Sampson who is also one of our yeah Yeah. great Canadian poets that should be up there with our musician poets he's so great um and I guess from there I started 
being interested in really lyric poetry. Like I loved Anne Michaels so much and I loved Don Mackay so much. <laughs> and that was it for a long time in terms of and, and going and doing my undergrad in English. And that was it for a long time. And then when I did my master's, my master's thesis supervisor was Dale Smith. Um, who uh, is married to Wanuyan right. and uh, runs like Skanky Possum Press. <laughs> um, and he introduced me to poetry that could be, you know, not just um, kind of like a sacred self-expression, yeah, but a, sort of, yeah, like yeah. a part of every day, just like a normal yeah. thing that Good. was socially embedded. And that was, um, it was just a totally different way of looking at poetry and um, I read Lynn Higinian's Language of Inquiry that summer and uh, Lorene Niedecker's um, Lake Superior. And I think actually Lynn Higinian changed everything for me, wow. like reading Language of Inquiry. Um, well, like we were talking about bringing poetry and poetics together mm -hmm. for her those are intimately tied yeah. and I go back to that book all the time she is so great and in terms of favorite writers like we were talking about Lisa Robertson and Sina Cara who I love um Norbasi Phillip I love Stephen Collis and Jeff Dirksen a lot as Ooh, well so you like a lot of Kootenai School of Writing I do yeah social, uh, I do yeah I like and, and like writing. recently I've been like Tannis McDonald's writing her poetry is so great oh. yeah just did you ever live in BC? No. We're talking about a lot of BC. No, you have, it's yeah. like you have BC in your blood. There. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe yeah. it's somewhere in your future. You never know. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. When did because the the poets and the people you mentioned that you first started being interested in up until around your masters, I would say, are very different from the ones you just listed. Oh my up god, in your yeah, completely. Yeah. Night and day. Was there a was there a, was there some kind of shift? Cormorant and pitch. Yep. It was it was <laughs> it was Dale. Honestly, it was. I wrote my master's thesis on. Uh, Don Mackay's like scientific poet, like oh, on good. his yeah. geological yeah. poetry and um, specifically like scientific nomenclature. Oof. And because I was interested in looking at um, like source material next to poetry, Dale um, sent me in the direction of um, Charles Olson and okay. um, looking at um, poetry as what Olson calls a saturation job. Mm -hmm. And that totally changed everything for me. I, I mean, I, I like Olsen. I don't that it wasn't his poetry necessarily that I right. fell in love with, but it was just a totally different way of looking at poetry that um, I don't know. I just I had never been introduced to those to those texts mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. So I was just floating around reading what was on, you know, a syllabus for her right. undergrad and writing poetry that was very much like that as well. And mm -hmm. I it felt like something unattainable that I could never write. And then when I read these other writers who are equally, yeah, yeah. it's 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 not that the writing is, is, it's not that, like lyric poetry has this sense that it is so unattainable. Like it's yeah, so- Yeah, I feel, I, I that messed me up for years actually. Yeah. A lot of the, the sort of poets in my background, which were early, like early, like especially with me, a lot of it was 19th century French poetry that I studied because mm -hmm. like, my background is in French literature. And I knew there was no way I could write anything remotely as, as I, I, that perfection. Like it just yeah. it felt like something you would keep in a museum. Mm -hmm. and, and I just, it was beautiful and it affected me, but the way a statue affects me or mm -hmm. a piece of classical music, it's not that it's not 
alive it is alive but it's just so yeah there's something so pure and i'm not pure i can't write purely or well the other poets i was mentioning it's like this idea of like it's not like you were saying it doesn't seem like a finished product Mm -hmm. it's more like composition as a thinking through of ideas yeah which is way more appealing and way more interesting it's a process too and it's i think it it shows how the the fluidity of of experience of of reality of of all that stuff when when they show they're showing the process of of how it's moving how these things are moving and more political too but i don't necessarily think that lyrical poetry is doesn't can't include now. any of that. I Not think now. It, no. Right, right. If you right. look at someone like Lisa Robertson, she can right. write a beautiful lyrical yeah, 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 poem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. That's true. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, too, um, I was thinking about Fred Waugh and his book, Music at the Heart of Thinking. And I don't have the quote right, but he talks about um, poetry being a kind of Tai Chi, I guess, which uh. is a, a really good one. And I, I think of Tai Chi. I've done Tai Chi. And the idea is you just keep practicing over and over. Like it's a practice yeah. rather than something that's a finished product. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Better, better to the last question. All right. You want to ask this one too? Oh, all right. Oh, fine. Okay. Because I'm not sure about the wording of this. Actually, says, some of your poems focus on your ancestry and the north. Now, when I said ancestry, I was thinking not about like distant ancestry, but I was thinking about you talked about like your grandmother, for instance, in a poem. That oh, I remember. And, okay. Yeah. So that's what I instead of ancestry, which doesn't sound right to I me. I was wondering what you what meant by that. What the heck is she talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah. You know, okay. Or he or whoever wrote the question. And the North. So okay. So and there has been poems about the North. Like and and also I also noticed, for instance, the latest, um, the the poem that was in. Um, Puritan? Help me, the Puritan, the one of the uh, pointillism mm-hmm. was also had a travel sort of aspect. I love the artistic aspect of that poem too. What makes these topics? influence your writing if they do um, would you call these topics or others especially important to you so we'll see maybe rel- writing about a, a relative or a family member yeah uh or space mm-hmm. yeah i think that's it i think i think though when i've written about family members it's mm-hmm. sort of like a one-off i'm not sure that like as a topic that really yeah. feels that important to me mm-hmm. but definitely the place space stuff does um I think a lot about being an Anglo-Quebecer. That's mm-hmm. and um, actually more broadly, just thinking about the self in terms of place, or actually what Lynn Hijinian calls being in position, mm-hmm. which has to do with um, like poetry as a as a public activity. Mm-hmm. And um, I was also mentioning earlier that um, I was working in political writing for a while, and I was thinking a lot about who I was as a citizen and about the stances that I take toward the world and um, wanted to think about how I could reflect that instability of the self in a really stable medium. Um, I don't know. So place is a really privileged topic in Canadian poetry, right? Mm. Like from Atwood and Fry. And I think we're starting to, or not starting to, we do think about what that means socioeconomically a lot as well at this point and um you know like a a lake scene yeah. with a heron which by the way was the subject of the first poem i ever had published yeah but um yeah <laughs> i love it yeah um but it's never just that right it's no. like there are you know issues of colonization are intimately tied to any exploration of space and place in mm-hmm. canada that's just how it that's is where it starts um so in terms of the north, um, I did write a few poems about a trip that I took to Iqaluit. Yeah. And I was trying oh, to boy. grapple with what it meant um, mm-hmm. to be a white settler in this con- in this country. And mm-hmm. um, sort of weighing guilt with action, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, 
so yeah, I had a really amazing opportunity to go up to Nunavut um, to volunteer for Calwit Youth Arts Month. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was about two years ago. And when I came home, I had some really complicated feelings about my trip up there, namely that I had um, taken a free flight up there, paid by the, uh, well, part of, actually, I think the flight was paid by the airline. But um, basically, I was in a position of authority over Inuit youth. <laughs> and I was like deeply uncomfortable with that situation. And right. this was right about the time that the um, testimonial phase of the TRC came out. Mm-hmm. And I just had, I felt like I had to deal with like be, like being a white settler mm-hmm. in this colony. And um, I don't think I ever really found the words for yeah, that. But sure. what we were talking about earlier, like thinking through an idea, I, the, those poems are just sort of trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to deal with that. And yeah, I think that none of us really have the luxury of leaving decolonization, whether it's like racial, whether it's patriarchal, whether it's ecological, none of us really have the luxury of leaving that to other people. So though that kind of stuff is really important to me that, um, interesting. I don't, I don't think that poetry needs to be like activism, but what we were just saying about language being inherently political. Mm-hmm. And to work yeah. things through as well, to open up the topics. I think it's a good yeah. way to yeah. to make them open. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure I really answered that question, but I just feel no, like I think you do. Um, in so. terms of the topics being important, yeah. it's more that they open up a set mm-hmm. of questions. Yeah. yeah that can, that then you can ask, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that sounds and great really important questions it comes up a lot in um in my line of work too as as a social uh, and social work uh, because a lot of there's there's a need for social workers up north and social workers who go up north get paid very very well yes yes they do and um so you're going there and you're not familiar with that community necessarily you don't know all the cultural context and you're in there in your position of power right yeah and you're expected to like do these things and like it's it is but then what's the op the yeah then the the alternative is for no one to go and i think that ultimately if if you do choose to go uh, and those experiences uh to do to um to be in those communities i would look at more of a um sort of a community oriented community yeah. building community development approach of where you're consulting and interacting with yeah. people an to opportunity sort of, to learn your and listen yes right? and you're also there yeah. to learn and it's reflection yeah. it's a reflective um experience so to try to less you can never completely get rid of the power dynamics that are yeah. inherent there but i think yeah. there's ways of um of, of lessening them maybe or oh, yeah, just being sure. reflexive and um yeah even a, a sort of a community building, building yeah that that sense of entitlement and arrogance can go right out the window i'm sure like that's oh, the yeah. important thing like and there is so much learn i like i felt like canada just appropriates this like image of the north for itself so much and once i was actually up north i was like this is so different than what we this idea of the north that we like take to be a stand-in for canada yeah (laughs) all yeah it was i learned so much i was only there for two weeks but i just it really well, force me to confront myself, I guess, more than anything. Mm-hmm. But so maybe, who knows? Maybe there'll be more more uh, poems in that uh, yeah. in that vein, or even had, it's had an impact on you enough that it's going to keep influencing more poems, even yeah. so directly about Somehow. that oh, yeah. experience. And, uh, that's it. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I, I, do we have any more questions? No, I think this has been a uh, an excellent interview. Yeah. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna really push people to make sure they listen to the whole thing because it is going to be long. But I think it that's was it. very insightful. Yeah, thanks, thanks and, so and much for having me. Do you have me. any more answers? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have no answers. Well, I don't have yeah, any. That's either. one thing I don't have. Yeah. Thank you very much, Claire, and and, uh, and thank you for 
the interview. Small Machine Talks with Amanda Earl and A.M. Kozak. <laughs>